Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Woo woo. Woo. Ashlyn, I feel like sometimes your podcast <laughs> goes long and sometimes it's short, so I never know what it's going to be. <laughs> well, honestly, I feel like I emulate a lot of podcasts that I love to listen to when I'm doing the intro. And so uh-huh. sometimes I'll be like emulating the Now Playing podcast where they're like, welcome to the Now Playing podcast. And sometimes like <laughs> Hank, I listen to Dear Hank and John and Hank's always like, welcome, whoa. Like, yeah, he's like, oh, and welcome. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, Hank. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm trying to find like my own niche uh, intro, even though we've been doing this for a year, I'm still learning and growing and trying Aww. to uh, make this intro happen, <laughs> make it my own. Yeah, well, you're doing great, <laughs> and Thank I have you. to say that I love it every time. So. Thank you. Um, so what did we watch today, Rihanna? What are we doing here? What are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I ask myself every day. Um, we watched Star Trek V, The Final Frontier. Oh my god, we really did. <laughs> but guess what? The Frontier is not final, because there's so many more movies to go in this series. Yeah, it's definitely kind of a misleading title, But I know, like every movie pretty much, they made it with the intent of having no more movies after it. (laughs) (laughs) When will we stop saying that? I I guess when we get to the Abrams. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, so we are here, guys. We are at number five. And I don't know how to feel about this movie, but before we even get into that... We first have to talk about our shout-out, and I really know how I feel about this shout-out, and it's only joy. So, I am not good at taking compliments well, but when I heard this shout-out, I just, like, froze like a robot, because I (laughs) just, I can't take how amazing this shout-out is. This week, we have a very special method of communicating our shout-out, so, Rihanna, go ahead and play it. Hey, Trek TikTok, how is everyone doing today? I wanted to come on real quick and tell you about uh, a podcast that you should check out. So it is called the Duras Sisters Podcast. So go check it out. It is two sisters. Um, It is Ashlyn and Rihanna. And basically what they do is they're watching through Star Trek, um, but they do it with different themes. So like they'll do a whole series on family or they will do a whole series on uh, time travel. Um, They've been doing podcasting for just over a, a year now. Uh, but go check out their TikTok, go check out their podcast, because um, we all need to support other Star Trek podcasts, and that they're women podcasters. Um, we need to get more women uh, involved in this as well, because there is too much of this. Um, so go check it out. It is the Duras Sisters podcast, um, where we can find podcasts, and also the Duras Sisters pod on here. So have a good day. That was Jeff from the Nerd Trek podcast. Jeff, thank oh, you. I, oh. <laughs> Literally, Ashlyn, like when I showed her this earlier, she was like head in hands, like could not even look at me <laughs> showing her this. That's how amazed we are by this. I'm still head in hands. I, I just, oh man, that is one of the nicest things that we have heard in a year. Like I'm just so happy and also 
I don't know if anyone remembers, but we actually were a guest on the Nerd Trek podcast about a year ago, I want to say, um, at some point, like in November or December last year. And yeah. we watched two episodes with them while they were going through their Next Generation watch, and we had a blast being on their show. And they're, So much fun. I mean, the Nerd Trek podcast is awesome, and I love that they have the different perspective. Uh, it's Jeff, David, and Phil, and the Nerd Trek podcast is awesome. So I also just want to send the love back their way and say, please go check them out. They have some serious guests on t- to join them. Like They have yeah. people from the show, actors, uh, scientists, people from behind the scenes. So seriously, they are an awesome podcast as well. And we just want to say from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. This made my month uh, hearing yeah. this shout out. <laughs> seriously. And like the Nerd Trek podcast is so fun. Those guys are some of the coolest guys out there. We had just such a blast being on the podcast with them. I love their energy that they create in the studio. Like, it's just so much fun. So, yeah, go and check them out. And thank you so much for that shout out. It really means the world to us. Thank you, Jeff. We love you, Jeff. (laughs) Oh, wow. That was so lovely. If you would like to have your compliment featured. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, we love to hear how our listeners feel about our podcast. And so we would love if you could leave us a review um, anywhere you listen to your podcast or on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. We even have a Tumblr out there. Yeah. So uh, please join us on social media. We love interacting with our fans. Truly, Star Trek fans are some of the greatest fans in the world. So oh yeah, easily. We love you. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a great community of people, and we are so blessed to be with all of you. Yeah, and Ashlyn, today I'm so excited to talk about The Final Frontier because what a ride. Ashlyn and I are so lucky with our schedules that we've been able to watch all of these movies except the motion picture together uh, over Zoom. We've watched quite a few of them with my with our mom, but last night we got together and watched this movie and had a drinking game because, you know, how else are you going to get through some parts of this movie? <laughs> without a little drink in your hand. Um, So we'll be posting what our drinking game was when this episode comes out. But I'm just, I just had a blast watching it with you, Ashlyn. I think that it really heightened like the joy of this. And I remember that this is sometimes the movie that we go to when we just need to feel better, like feel goofy and weird and just like get out of our own heads. This is a good one to watch because there's a lot going on, but it's not overwhelming and it's not very sad or intense. So it's kind of a perfect medium. I definitely use this movie to watch when I need some love because the character moments in it are so special and interesting. And there's so many amazing one-liners. It's great to just put it on and then sing Row, Row Your Bow, you know, and you're having a really great day. (laughs) That's really all you need, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, Ashlyn, I have a question for you. Yeah. What is your memory of the first time watching this? Oh man! So once again, we <laughs> we uh, I still have that memory of us in Georgia. <laughs> uh huh. Me too. We're still teenagers on spring break, but we you know we're not typical teenagers. We're not at the beach. We are in our house watching Star Trek. <laughs> so, I mean, granted, there was a storm that canceled all our plans. So yeah, so we could that in mind. Go to the beach, but 
but I think we still would have watched our kids regardless <laughs> of the storm. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of the things that I remember from it was Cybok. And I remember being really intrigued at the beginning of the movie and seeing that there was a laughing Vulcan. I thought that was kind of weird. And yeah. I also remember God at the end of the movie. And that was pretty much it. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> that, those are pretty uh, big moments. So I can understand why. Yeah, I think something that I really took away from it was that I felt like it was expanding the Star Trek universe because they're talking about the Great Barrier and trying to get to the center of the universe. And at the time, having having only seen the first four Star Trek movies, I really thought this was a cool factor, like a cool addition to the universe was that there is something that I guess no ship can penetrate, which, oh my gosh, I can't wait to talk about this because right now as like a very seasoned fan, I have a lot of issues. <laughs> um, but I remember as a kid just being really interested. Also, it was my first foray into Star Trek politics. And the beginning of this movie does dabble in some talks about peace treaties and negotiations and some diplomacy, which I really thought was enthralling. <laughs> so, Fair, yeah. yeah. And then I don't remember anything in the middle, and I remembered God, and that was it. So, <laughs> <laughs> Ashlyn, you're lucky. I'm oh, glad that no. you remembered great things about this movie. Oh, no. What did you remember, Rihanna? The fan dance, oh, of, God. Course. of course. <laughs> <laughs> that literally could not leave my brain. It was horrible. I was... I was, like, really confused also because I'm, like, what is she doing? Why? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I just, I think I was so speechless as a kid. Like, I did not understand the tactics of this um, or, like, the reason for this scene <laughs> to exist. So I remember that, and then I do remember the rock climbing and at the Yosemite, at Yosemite, and the whole Spock with his boots. Spock's floating boots will ever be ingrained in my memory is very special. And it helps to sort of like soothe the hurt from the fan dance memory. <laughs> so <laughs> honestly, it was pretty it was pretty good with this with the boots, but I just prefer not to remember the fan dance, but it always came back to my mind. Yeah, that's a uh, it's it's indescribable. <laughs> <laughs> Truly beyond words. <laughs> Wow, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> and with that, <laughs> let's start d diving into this podcast. Ashlyn, would you mind giving us a little bit of background? Who in the world directed this movie? Okay, I would love to talk about everything with the production of this movie because this is it. This is William Shatner and his baby. This is his directorial debut for movies. Whoa. Um, so as I've talked about last week, the only reason he signed up to do a next movie after Voyage Home was if he could direct it. Just trying to copy Leonard Nimoy, essentially, because that's yeah. exactly what Nimoy did. And he had a little bit of directing experience before this. Um, viewers or listeners might know that William Shatner was on TJ Hooker and was TJ Hooker on the TV show during the 80s. This was between, you know, Star Trek and, and the episodes and then the movies. And so he actually did direct about 10 episodes of that series. Mm -hmm. And so 
I feel like, you know, we've talked about before, a lot of actors do get a chance to get behind the camera when they're on a long-running show like that because Mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, when you're around the crew all the time, you start getting an idea of, oh, like... I, I feel like I could be a good director because I bring these things to the table. Um, and so clearly that's what Shatner thought. And then um, they <laughs> Paramount gave him the reins for Star Trek V. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rihanna's just like nodding like, yep, they did. Yep, they um, certainly did. <laughs> uh, this movie came out in 1989. And you might remember that... Um, I think it was 87, that Voyage Home came out in 86. So previously, we've been having Star Trek movies every two years. This is now a three-year gap, which, you know, but this is still pretty consistent for Star yeah. Trek movies. Like, again, way more consistency than I've ever had in my life. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like still the 80s were a great time to be a Star Trek fan. Absolutely. So there are three main writers that we have for this movie as well. So basically, you know, Shatner is still just wanting to copy everything that Nimoy does because Leonard Nimoy helped contribute to the plot of Voyage Home. And so Shatner did the same thing. So he worked with, Shatner worked with Harv Bennett and David Lowry to come up with a story for this movie. And William Shatner's idea was a biblical journey. Um, Yeah, there was a lot more religion than what we have in the movie now okay like i'm i'm talking about kirk is like on an adventure to find god and like actual god and Mm -hmm. he's like in the river sticks he has to like go to the underworld like there's yeah there was a whole lot of like traditional like christian religion in this movie and Harv Bennett and Lowry said, mm, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, uh, are you sure, Bill? <laughs> yeah. And so they chopped that down. And pretty much all that we have remaining of that idea is Cybok. Uh, okay. And how he's kind of a like Vulcan, a Vulcan rebel who's yeah. trying to find uh, Shakari. Exactly. <laughs> so, and also what's crazy about this is that they did film a lot of this footage with the old script but Shatner Ooh. had to go away for like a month during the production because he had to go work on another uh film and oh, wow. they completely changed the script without asking him and oh. they rewrote a bunch of scenes and refilmed a bunch of scenes without his permission Whoa. and I think so that I mean they totally went behind his back and changed a lot of this movie and most of it is the ending that's so, insane. Yeah. I'm um, sure he uh, <laughs> threw a big old fit. I know, but... Understandably, like, I feel I'd like, be pissed too. I feel like Paramount wouldn't have liked what they would put out anyway and would want to cut it. So, woo, we are left with this uh, interesting movie. <laughs> <laughs> but something, you know, similar, again, because he's copying Nimoy, but I, I also think it's a reflection of how long this cast has been together i feel like voyage home and final frontier both have the best character moments in all of the movies and i feel like everybody really gets a good amount of screen time this time yeah we see sulu Chekhov, and ahura and scotty too all of them are really involved in the main plot the whole time it's not like they're separated apart from each other doing different things um, 
they all have a pretty equal role, of course, with the trio having a lot of the most screen time in the movie. But I was, I, I believe that's because Shatner knows the cast and knows that Star Trek is just better when you have everyone involved and everyone having a good chunk of the movie. So, yeah, I yeah. mean, Star Trek isn't about a main character that then has supporting characters like this is always the show and the movies have always been about the the crew as a whole and so i am glad that that this movie went more that direction because it always does feel lacking when sulu and Chekhov and her and scotty get sort of shafted and the three trio are just left to do everything epic so it was nice to nice to see that in this movie Yeah, and it's pretty surprising to me, knowing that Shatner has the ego that he does, that he wouldn't just make a Kirk is the hero type of movie. But I think he's a little smarter than I give him credit for, Um, which is is good. That's a nice surprise. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a pleasant, pleasant surprise for sure. Yeah. So yeah, they made this movie. Once again, Paramount said, please don't spend a lot of money. And you can tell that they didn't. <laughs> oh, God. These effects look like they're from the 60s. They're not good. I don't think they're quite that bad. But they do. Okay, def- they definitely but... do not hold up today. No. Like, the, the scene where Kirk's falling and Spock is grabbing him by, by his little hover boots. He's falling off El Capitan. Like what (laughs) it's just not good this green screen is rough i don't know i just am cracking up the entire time i'm seeing god too it's just (laughs) it's just a light show like i feel very much like we're going inside v'ger again it really is absolutely well and i just have to note that this movie received the worst reviews since the motion picture so it was the, a big bomb at the box office. Um, <laughs> and according to the producer, uh, Harv Bennett, who you know also helped write it, mm-hmm. uh, it nearly killed the franchise. Oof. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I agree and disagree with that. Mm-hmm. You know, I have sort of a split opinion because the more I watch this movie, the more I can pick out parts that I really enjoy and think were super successful for the characterization and even plot wise are somewhat interesting. But then there's just parts of this movie that really fail and really make me question why it was made. And so I I'm so split on that, you know, I think that it definitely wouldn't, I don't think it killed the, or like it, I'm glad of course it didn't kill the franchise, but I don't think it was that bad, but it still wasn't like amazing, especially, I think it's hard to follow up an act like Voyage Home too. I mean, how do you make a movie after making Voyage Home? Yeah, I agree. I mean, such a hit. And I also think I mean, I I know we're both biased, Rihanna, because we're both huge Star Trek fans. And I know to the average viewer who isn't as as obsessed as we are, it might not stand great on its own. Mm -hmm. But I think that this movie's better than the motion picture, personally. Mm -hmm. Like, if I had to rank them, which, you know, we have not been ranking Rihanna in our podcast. We totally forgot. (laughs) Yeah, so maybe we should bring that back. Um, Actually, yeah, let's rank it right now. So, right now, Jesus Christ! Okay, yeah, let's break it. Let's... 
<laughs> I have to like get out a pen and this get is ready. The, the differences between us. I'm like, all right, in my brain, I'm good. And Rihanna's like, um, excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> I need to write out. I have to think about this, but I would love to hear your ranking. Okay, so my ranking is, and I'm going to start from worst to best. Okay. Um, my least favorite is the motion picture. My second, so in fourth place, is The Final Frontier. Third place is Search for Spock. Second place is The Voyage Home. And first place is The Wrath of Khan. Nice. And that is just based off of my recent watch that we've been doing for the podcast because obviously as I grow and change my <laughs> opinion changes as well but so just from this rewatch I think um Wrath of Khan has got a slight edge above Voyage Home although it is tough it's a, yeah that's a toss-up understandably know. yeah yeah what about you Rihanna well, really putting me on the spot here okay <laughs> I know I'm kind of throwing a wrench in the podcast but like let's just mix it up why not Ashland said let's bring chaos theory in. <laughs> into our orderly logical podcast setup okay I know let's bring like before we even talk about the movie rather than before at the we end think about it or give Rihanna time to mull it over <laughs> okay Rihanna how about this you give your ranking now and then if it changes we give it again at the end okay thank <laughs> you i love that okay um one second i think mine's gonna be the same but i it's tough because in last place voyage home but only by like a hair no i'm so sorry in last place motion picture but only by a hair because i also want to put Final Frontier in last place. So they're sort of tied. Tied for fourth, I see. (laughs) And then uh, absolutely search for Spock. And then, of course, Voyage Home and Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan's always going to be my favorite. Mm. Yeah, I can't argue with that. It's the same as mine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I think as far as the differences between Motion Picture and Final Frontier, I feel like the only reason that I am putting it up higher, Final Frontier higher, is because of these character moments. And we do not get much at all of that in the motion picture. And although I think the motion picture has a more interesting plot with a more, like, fulfilling ending. What? (laughs) I'm just kidding. I agree. (laughs) I'm not, like, super invested in the shockery, center of the universe, cybox obsession part of this movie. I am really invested in these characters and seeing all of them at the places that we've built them up to be because in the motion picture we have so many questions about where Kirk is emotionally, where Spock is, and all of their motivations are all over the place and very hard to pin down like we've talked about in our episode where we we covered this. And so I think that that what, what sort of elevates motion picture or elevates the final frontier a bit for me but otherwise like the plot is just tough it's a tough one to like super enjoy because it doesn't feel like we get a good epic ending and I know we're jumping around a lot to talk about the ending but that's sort of how I feel what about you Ashlyn see I actually kind of disagree with you because I I mean like I talked about with my first memories of watching this movie, I like the politics and I like the 
turn that they're doing because i think Mm -hmm. in the background it's been a very small plot that they are trying to have peace with the klingons and trying to resolve the situation with the neutral zone which i want to say even in tj even in next gen we have not resolved anything with the neutral zone or the romulans so i feel like this is a really amazing step that they're taking and i thought it was really cool even though there's no resolution to it. And <laughs> yeah. I think that really fails. I do agree that there's no like, I have had enough of you moment, <laughs> you know, at the end of this one. And there's no con quoting Moby Dick as the, as the ship explodes, <laughs> yeah. you know, and Spock doing his thing. So yeah, okay, the ending is not great, but I thought that I, I wasn't, like, falling asleep as the yeah. plot unfolded, you know? I had some investment in it, and I was curious as to why and how all the crew members were becoming, um, like, so loyal to Cybok. And also, I think that it's interesting to throw in a sibling right now because we have known spock for so long just like kirk and mccoy have Mm -hmm. and we've never known that he has a sibling and so all of those reasons to me i think it's um actually is a more interesting plot than motion picture Mm. so rihanna i like that yeah let's let's get into it yeah absolutely i'm sorry is that too abrupt i don't know no not at all (laughs) i agree let's get into it as far as we're starting on uh, the Dune Planet. I, I mean, Nimbus 3. <laughs> so oh here God. we are. <laughs> <laughs> Dune has been really making waves right now. The movie just came out. Yeah. Yeah. I still have yet to read the book, so I'm waiting to read it before I watch the movie, but apparently it was good. I came home and my husband was watching it with his friend, and I was like, "How? how is it? And they both were like, meh. <laughs> and that was it so i i don't know Fair <laughs> that's sort of how i feel about the beginning of this movie as well meh there's a guy digging holes he meets a smiling vulcan like you said a laughing vulcan and he goes you're a vulcan and then he's like show me your pain and, <laughs> and then he has a gun and he says you're not supposed to have weapons also i wish i just desperately wish we could know more about nimbus 3 as far as it is a planet of galactic peace so we're, we're getting snippets of this information and then we sort of see this like cantina type bar with the furry on the table <laughs> and all this stuff that's going on and it just does not scream Planet of Galactic Peace to me. And I know that's sort of the point. It's like this, like, is it in the neutral zone? Is that why it's it's sort of like, it's like the safe spot in tag where, like, everyone can't attack each other? Are you referring to base? <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> this is base. So, I guess, like, I just want to know, when did this start? Wh- who are these people? There's a peace treaty happening with this Romulan lady. I just have so many extra questions that I feel like we're not satisfying answers, particularly with these three, uh, fig or the three these three characters we get of the Romulan, the Terran, and the Klingon, as they like to be referred to. So, Rihanna, it sounds like you'd rather watch this movie instead of Final Frontier. You'd rather watch <laughs> uh, the movie about Nimbus Three. <laughs> Yeah, or at least get 
a scene that explains it or like a transition from Starfleet or some sort of historical background because as much of a Star Trek nerd as I am, this is the only time we ever hear of it ever. Literally it is. And will ever again. (laughs) Well, I have some answers for you because I have not read the novelization but I have listened again to the Now Playing podcast like so many times and yeah. Arnie has read the novelization. Okay, <laughs> thanks Arnie. <laughs> Which I don't know, I'm that kind of shows my hand as like not being uh, a good podcaster, not doing my own research. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to share secondhand rumors about the mm-hmm. novelization. Ooh. And I mean, but it's also like, you can infer from bits from the movie. Sure. But essentially, and what confuses me deeply is in the movie, it says that they established this planet 20 years ago. So I'm like, what is happening? 20 years ago. That means like when Kirk was on his five-year mission is Mm -hmm. when this was established, which I didn't know they did that. Like right after the Klingon war. Okay. (laughs) I feel like that's wrong, but who knows? Yeah. But essentially their idea was to have a place that was no weapons allowed, like actual like a, a home planet, I guess base is a great way to think about it. Really. Yeah. <laughs> um, where they will do negotiations. And I think it would be kind of a pivot point for trade discussions as well as peace offers. And they are, were supposed to send um, representatives who are the best and brightest from these three species. And so we have... In this movie, we have Cord, who is this very famous Klingon general that Kirk mentions that he's studied um, yeah. maneuvers from. Kirk's in, like yeah. pulling out his like history nerd moment where he's just like, "Ooh, exciting!" Yeah, he's general like General Cord, <laughs> yeah, which I thought was I thought that was, that was cute. cute. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we have this Romulan woman, Caitlin Dar, who is the representative representative for the Romulans. And then okay. we have this, like, British human. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, and then we have St. John Talbot, which, what kind of name is that? Yeah, what? Um, as the representative for the humans. But originally, this was not the three that they sent out. Like, these three representatives have been rotated in for the past 20 years. And so I think initially... It was, like, actually three best and brightest people, you know. Um, Yeah. But ultimately, they were able to get nothing done. And Mm. the peace planet turned into this trash planet because the three three species, so, like, the Earth, the Earth, my God, the humans, the Romulans, and the Klingons did not agree to fund the planet equally essentially and Mm. so when it was clear that peace was not going to be made they just stopped sending any support or food or supplies or anything to this planet and so the colonists that they had transported out there um, who had volunteered to go said this is awful and it just turned into like a terrible situation and they're like in the desert like (laughs) digging holes yeah, so it's not a great situation, and I feel like they're, it, it's very opposite to Gene Roddenberry's vision of Star Trek, 
which I think if he had had any hands on this movie, which he does not, I think he's only credited with an executive producer and mm-hmm. as being creator of Star Trek. Sure. Um, I think he would have hated this premise, but I think it's a maybe kind of a realistic view of how diplomacy was at that time. I mean, mm-hmm. we're still not, there's no sign of having peace with the Romulans in any Star Trek series. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, well, and, Actually. Oh, well, you know, actually. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, I but forgot that's about 900. Dis- <laughs> I forgot about Discovery, which comes back in two weeks. But anyway, so I think it's like something that's very ambitious, but is just too young to happen yet and all three parties are not as invested as as they need to be to make this plan happen yeah i mean kirk even makes the uh observation that he's like i hope i look better than general cord when i'm his age or something crazy when they when they put me out to pasture i hope i fare better than general cord yeah like yikes um but honestly court is just like drunk this whole meeting you know yeah so i hope kirk isn't just drunk all the time for meetings <laughs> right and yeah so that's crazy and i just wish we knew that without having to read a novelization you know or without having to like do a bunch of extra research and so yeah. that's where i feel like this movie just doesn't make sense to me because we're trying to it's kind of similar to how the beginning of voyage home starts with this random court trial and like Klingons yelling about Kirk you know and but at least that has a little bit more relevancy and so the only way that this ties in is for Cybok to get a ship and him taking everyone hostage and of course that's a huge deal because it's supposed to be this like these three diplomats coming together and making peace talks and stuff and so it is a very good bargaining chip but I'm just wondering how did Cybok get here was this where he was exiled to? Rihanna I don't know. I I want to know. Yeah. I was thinking this myself because Cybok's looking for a starship, but ha- like, how did he get here if it wasn't on a starship? You know, right? Or I yeah, I don't I don't know at all. And okay, I think we should talk about Cybok now mm-hmm. because as Spock discusses in the movie, and we've talked about Cybok on our family series, he was. The first son of Sarek mm-hmm. before Sarek married Amanda. That's correct, right? He's older. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Even though the actor who plays Cybok is younger than Leonard Nimoy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> they just make him look a little more ruffled and like, that's fine, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Um, but Cybok's mother was a Vulcan princess and then she passed away. And mm-hmm. Cybok lived at the house with Spock <laughs> growing up. Um, yeah. And he was totally not on down. He was not on board with the Vulcan philosophies about how logic is their guiding principle. He wanted to, as Spock says, embrace the animalistic instincts of his ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Cybok left Vulcan, even though he was brilliant and expected to join the Science Academy and to become a great leader on Vulcan. He basically no one liked him talking about emotion and they exiled him and i think also he kind of went into self-exile you know yeah i mean i think good sorry i think the like more you get shunned from your own community the more you're gonna want to leave and this similarly happened to spock he didn't obviously go into exile but 
he wasn't viewed as the perfect Vulcan by his peers and uh, people at the Institute and all of that, or at the, um, yeah, the, ugh, at the Science Academy and all of that. And so, like, there, there is a certain amount of self, self-exile going on between both of them. Yeah. Absolutely. I totally agree. So, yeah, I kind of feel bad for Cybok. I I think also with my perspective of having seen Enterprise, where we do explore how Vulcans can live without logic. And, you know, we've seen, at least you and I, Rihanna, have seen so much Star Trek. We know about other Vulcans that are not just so logic-based. And so Mm -hmm. there is another way to... Uh, survive and I kind of admire these Vulcans for going out and exploring something that is forbidden because I always think that if a society is trying to suppress something to like especially to suppress people from expressing something or living a certain way of life I feel like that is kind of like a big red flag and can be very toxic and terrible Mm -hmm. and so just based off of that I am kind of like, go Cybok. Like, that's pretty cool. And searching for Shakari is not crazy. I mean, this is no different from monks and religious people who will live in extreme isolation to find themselves. Yeah, so it's just a different way of life, and I don't think we should shun it. Obviously, the problem with Cybok is that he is okay resorting to violence sometimes to get his way, and that's not okay. Yeah, and it's something that... I really enjoy about this movie is the fact is we don't have this clear villain we have more of an exploration and that's why I think maybe this could have been a better episode of Star Trek you know like it could have been it didn't feel like big screen enough for the like you know like I was saying how the ending isn't this sort of like epic battle or whatever but in a way it is kind of refreshing to not have this like awful villain who is just like fighting tooth and nail to destroy earth you know or something like that instead it's this um searching for something greater than ourselves and that's what star trek is often you know in this original series particularly and so i did really appreciate that and the fact that cybok isn't this mega villain was really fun to play with and i think really cool to have the like brother connection and stuff because it does allow him to be more sympathetic and also the way her how he sort of just has these like therapy sessions with the crew members and helps them to face their pain and stuff it's pretty cool you know obviously he's not brainwashing them like he says he isn't but it's still like interesting that so many of our crew members chose to follow cybok after revealing their pain um that it just shows how influential he is and how, in his case, embracing emotions has really helped him to understand humans and people who do, who are more emotion-based in culture. And so I think it did help give him a, a hand up to see, or to like be a, able a to express. Yeah, <laughs> it did give him a leg up to manipulate, but also like help the people that he's encountering. It's an interesting dynamic. 
I wish, again, we had more information about why they become so devoted to him. Because mm-hmm. I know after I started going to therapy, I wasn't, like, calling my therapist a cult leader and, <laughs> and like, joining her on a mission. Right. <laughs> so I feel like there's something deeper that's going on rather than just, you know, him healing their pain. And I also question that it really does take their pain away because i mean in life you have to really work to get through something and a big hug from a nice vulcan is not gonna fix you you know yeah and i i acknowledge the importance of talking about something in your life that really has changed and affected you like we can take mccoy's example Mm -hmm. where he had to pull the plug on his dad even though a cure was discovered two weeks later and how that has really haunted him for the rest of his life and he never talks about it and sure talking it out with close friends you know people that you trust is very beneficial but it's not going to get him over that in a in a hug you know absolutely yeah and i think maybe at least for ohura Chekhov, sulu and um at least in their case maybe it was more that someone was listening to them and someone was giving them that space. Because I feel like, at least in this era, we don't have Counselor Troy or other, like, mental health professionals besides McCoy. He's, like, the one you go to for physical and mental ailments, which is fine, but got to be honest, as much as I love McCoy, I don't think a lot of people would be comfortable going to him to talk about their painful experiences because he's brash and he's uh, his bedside manner isn't amazing if you don't know him that well or if you don't if you're not that open you know and I feel like I definitely wouldn't want to go to McCoy for my problems and so no, maybe I'm, I'm going to chapel <laughs> yeah <laughs> for sure or like just writing it down in a log you know <laughs> so I feel like maybe it was part of that is just the fact that they're getting listened to and able to feel like wow this person like cares about what's happening. I mean, half the time, of course, we know that Kirk and uh, Spock and McCoy care about the rest of their crew, but it does sometimes seem like it's the three of them and then everyone else, you know? And so I think that this, yeah, maybe it gave them the space to feel heard and listened to in a different way. But I still don't know why that would make them want to like, okay, let's hop off to the center of the universe. He's awesome. Like he just held all these people hostage, but let's still follow him. Especially because they're Starfleet officers and that's totally against their DNA. And these aren't just like cadets who are easily wooed. These are seasoned officers, uh, they're all commanders pretty much or lieutenant commanders like high-ranking officials yeah and they're turning on their captain which i and the whole crew and also the mission of starfleet i mean the whole purpose that they were sent out here is to make sure that the hostages are okay and they're just like turning their backs completely i don't really get it yeah, yeah. So I feel like there's something deeper that is unexplained. And like prob- a mind meld, maybe? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something that happened in this moment with Cybok that is even more uh, evil than we see. I guess I love your take on this, though, Rihanna, and I love your kind of loving perspective of it <laughs> um, and, you know, trying to find meaning in a script that clearly was just a jigsaw puzzle and yeah 
it seems like, I mean, as as I know just from like the history of making this movie, that the writers, you know, all, all three of the writers here are not on the same page, quite literally. And so yeah. I wonder if facts about Cybok's mind meld were dropped later, you know, like maybe they right. actually had an explanation for this and an explanation for why he's on uh, Nimbus 3 in the beginning and uh, talking more about the diplomats. I feel like that might be in an earlier draft of the script, but it did not make it out alive. And I yeah. feel like that's something that I'm really craving throughout this movie is just more information about a really interesting concept Absolutely, because otherwise I feel like half of these people's motivations I don't get. And that, as a writer, is like bugs me to no end, just in general, when I feel like I can't understand why a person's doing something. Uh, it throws me off, quite, quite frankly. And I think that it finally made sense to me when McCoy and Spock are shown their pain and all of that stuff that happens and they still decide not to follow him it made me feel like okay at least they are remaining consistent and I can understand that you know that even McCoy is like yes I'm not coming with you <laughs> like I'm not gonna leave my friends and I, so yeah. that made more sense to me but yeah the other crew members zero sense See, that made me more confused actually because <laughs> if it's so easy to just turn away from cyborg why didn't everybody else do it you know right i wonder i think that maybe he used more co coercion and was more intense with them but i don't know why he wouldn't do that to the main or to like the captain you know <laughs> if he was able to yeah i don't know um, anyway. I do want to talk also about Lawrence Luckenbill, who plays Cybok in this movie, because mm -hmm. I have some very fun facts about Ooh, him. Okay, so let's hear it. He uh, was cast by William Shatner himself, uh, okay. because initially they wanted Sean Connery to play what? Cybok. Yes, wouldn't this have been a totally she different movie? Um, but you know what? He was busy. Do you know what he was busy doing? Indiana Jones. How did you know? for some stones. Yeah, exactly. Um, of course I know. Indiana Jones is like my favorite franchise, bro. Okay, yeah. He was doing <laughs> Last Crusade, and so he was too busy to film for this. And so you know what they did? Is they named the planet Shakari in honor of Sean Connery. No effing way. Yep, I'm not joking. <laughs> That it's almost as good as the fact that Eddie Murphy was almost in Star I Trek. Know, I know. Oh, <laughs> These life. are like the ones that got away. Oh my god. Well, it makes me feel better because it means that in an alternate universe, like a parallel universe, there is this movie with Sean Connery in it. So <laughs> the amount of money I would pay <laughs> to go and see the Sean Connery version of Final Frontier insane oh my yeah. god um and so shatner you know when they found out connery couldn't do it he was channel surfing like he was just watching tv and he saw him uh perform as lyndon b johnson and so he literally just <laughs> called he was like get me his agent and he accepted immediately on the phone well yeah <laughs> when william shatner calls you like <laughs> Yeah. So I just thought that was really funny, just this whole scenario. And I actually think he's a good actor for Cyborg. Yeah. I feel like sometimes the acting in these movies is kind of subpar on the randos that we pick up along the way. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Cyborg is actually very nicely acted. And as 
much as he is just totally ignored for the rest of Star Trek history, I think it's a little bit of an injustice, actually. Which, okay, maybe oh, yeah. that's a very unpopular opinion, but no, I, I agree. I'm very interested to see what is what ended up happening with Cy. Well, Cybok died um, yeah. uh, at the end of this movie, but I would be interested in seeing a like uh, a Cybok the early years, you know. <laughs> I'm just, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think it's one of the most thoughtless omissions in Discovery, to be honest. Oh. I know that it's later, but that's just my hot take. You, mm, Rihanna, make me uncomfy. <laughs> it's true. I love Discovery so much, and so I don't like bad-mouthing it, but I guess it could have been later, and they could have, I think Michael, but... Mm, I don't think Michael nope. would have ever <laughs> met Cybok, though, because yeah. Spock was... Mm, yeah see i just went through that too no and now i'm thinking back to like obviously yesteryear the animated series episode was done way before cybox was even thought uh, was even a thought in anyone's eye (laughs) Um, so you know i can understand that but discovery there's no excuse like timeline wise it would have been right dab in the middle so i'm just very confused (laughs) oh no yeah oh i think about it sometimes because like i feel like often these movies seem to occur in a vacuum almost where a lot of this history isn't brought back and that's why i'm so glad we have a show like lower decks because they're finally acknowledging acknowledging a lot of the stuff that people try to bury of the star trek movies and i don't know if it's out of embarrassment or just not not wanting to cast someone to play a young cyborg not wanting to delve into that when they're trying so hard to focus on michael like there's so many reasons they could have left him out of this timeline but it's just it's interesting to me because star trek is always so thoughtful about its characters and what they're building on and so the fact that like discovery didn't do that like there had to be a reason so i think personally that on paper bringing up anything that has to do with the final frontier is gonna lose money because of how badly this movie did and how terrible everybody thinks this movie is which i i mean you know i i think it's not as bad as as uh, a lot of people do i actually mm-hmm. i mean like i said this is my comfort movie i like watching this one but yeah. i think that if you're talking to once again these freaking paramount executives that are like always our enemy um mm-hmm. if you're talking to them about r- running a new show which you know with discovery is already risky and mm-hmm. so many fans hate it just because it's new trick and yeah. I think having Cybok on board would, would have been... Would have killed it. Yeah. <laughs> Dead on arrival. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dead yeah. on arrival. And so I think that we are lucky enough now that there's so much new Trek happening. You know, this is even just a couple of years after Discovery has started. We are in such a different place with Trek where we have like a thousand new shows. It's unbelievable. And so I think now the audiences would be primed for something like recasting young Cybok. And I'm just going to shout to the heavens. Um, let's see Cybok in Strange New Worlds. <laughs> okay, Ashlyn. I love this hot take. I mean, it would totally... have to be in a flashback. But... Oh my God, it would destroy the canon. But like, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> or, you know, I would even settle for like a small reference that they could be like, oh yeah, like, uh, hey, S- S- Sarek, how you doing after 
the whole cyborg debacle or like the side the cyborgle i was gonna say you got you better make a joke out of that because because <laughs> uh, who would i be if not mm-hmm. um yeah i mean i don't know i think you're absolutely right there is a lot of embarrassment that surrounds this movie particularly from the producers from the writers uh from just how poorly it did and so i feel like this is com this is common with a lot of the movies is people just don't want to think about it they don't want to talk about motion picture like you said we act like it doesn't exist in the rest of the movies like we have no fallout from anything in motion picture like we do in other films and this is something i do like about the final the final frontier is that we're still building on klingon tensions and it's so smart because as much as it feels random in the other movies by this movie i'm like okay i know we're building to something now because obviously we talked about and um i mean the klingons have been here since freaking motion picture and things have been happening to them and there's been so many Klingons who want to kill Kirk like literally this guy in this movie uh is so pumped to kill Kirk because this is another I'm sorry just this is another K villain yeah this is Claw Claw (laughs) (laughs) I kind of love Claw and this lady who's like with her with him Captain Claw Captain Claw (laughs) He's kind of hilarious. I don't know. I think these scenes are fun because once again we get the um we get the common Klingons being the villains. I mean, my mom, our mom described it perfectly. She said the Klingons were the Borg of my time, you know? And I'm like that's so true. Like the Klingons are the Borg of this era even still. And so seeing the bird of prey, having that whole scene where they're in the shuttle and doing plan B as in barricade. I just love it. I think that was really fun action moments that still have a Klingon, like a hint of Klingon-ness or like a hint of the Klingon villainous stuff going on, but also then suggesting to maybe a future of peace and that's so cool i'm really glad that they added this in because it does pave way for star trek 6 yes and i think that's one of the most important reasons that if you're going to watch these movies in order you have to do it just to to build the six which is such a weak argument oh Oh, god (laughs) yeah okay but this, yeah. this brings up something that I have to complain about, and that is because I always confuse the Klingon villain. So I, if I haven't watched these movies in a while, I do confuse which one Christopher Lloyd is in, mm-hmm. if it's Search for Spock or if it's Final Frontier. Because or in Christopher both, Plummer, because he's a Klingon later on. Oh my god, <laughs> literally, exactly. And so once again, I mean, we talked about this in earlier episodes, but... I just am annoyed that they just always make it a random Klingon. And it's fine if it has a purpose. But mm-hmm. in this movie, there's no purpose for the Klingon to be there. Literally, mm-hmm. they set it up at the beginning because Captain Claw is shooting at some space trash. And he says, I want more glory. And also, the space trash he's shooting at, I think, is Voyager, low-key. I think it's the Voyager <laughs> space probe. Because we see... Like, it looks like one. <laughs> well, we yeah, it looks like one of those probes that we launched in the 60s and mm-hmm. at, there's a very slight moment where the camera's going around the probe and you see there's like human engravings on it mm-hmm. and I'm kind of thinking Ashlyn, it, I like that theory I, I think that it's sim- 
symbolism no it's not i don't know but but basically the klingon's just destroying this probe random space trash and he says i want glory and so i need to fight a villain that's worthy and then he like turns on his radio and hears that there's a distress call coming from the peace planet and so he goes there there's literally no other reason He's kind of just right place, right time for him. Like, this is just the perfect opportunity for him to get some glory. And that's the only thing that I can sort of justify. Like, well, he's a Klingon. He wants honor. And if he can kill Kirk, he's going to have songs written about him for decades. I just think that's lame. I think I think What? It's... That's a Klingon. That's identity for Klingons. Okay, well, it's good for him as a Klingon. <laughs> but I think, like, as a movie plot, it clutters oh. up this movie too much. Because Absolutely. we're jumping scene to scene. And it's taking time away that we could be using on cyborg and understanding like his whole deal or from the peace planet where we could understand its whole deal and instead we're like watching him shoot some trash you know and we're seeing the klingons get closer and closer they're not committing enough to it i mean what if claw had been on his way to like plant a bomb on the peace planet or something you know like oh that's already a better plot ashlyn (laughs) like no i'm saying like make claw do something rather than just want to kill kirk yeah, everyone wants to kill Kirk. Like, get in line, bro. Like, that's old news. <laughs> yeah, so that's yeah. that's my issue with Claw. As fun <laughs> as he is in this movie, which I would argue he's no fun, um, <laughs> I just, I'm not really into it. I've, I would rather watch a different part of this movie. I agree, and I think that's a really good point. I think the follow-through is what really suffers in this movie, is that they start all these cool, interesting plots and then resolve one? question mark (laughs) you know (laughs) and i i do also know about when they were making this movie that they were Mm -hmm. under a serious time crunch to get it finished in time there's been quotes like from george takei he talked about because there's a historic rivalry between the two of them how they really have never gotten along Um, between who sorry between george takei and william shatner he did say that shatner was able to maintain a creative and enthusiastic atmosphere on set And he says, I have enormous admiration for his ability to block that kind of pressure seeping onto the set, which was Mm. about how fast they had to wrap up filming and everything. And he said, despite our strained personal history, I found working with Bill as a director to be surprisingly pleasant. And so I think, which I'm happy to hear this, like this is great news. I just think that there was a lot of pressure to wrap things up. And so we just we sadly lost a lot of this story because of all of these different things that were going on. Well, and thank you for that perspective, Ashlyn, because I think as a viewer sometimes, and as such a big Star Trek nerd who is more invested in the writing and the plots of things, like I'm not a person to go back and like look at behind the scenes content that often because I think sometimes for me it takes away that fictional suspension of disbelief and it sort of... I I don't know, sometimes seeing that other side just takes away the magic a little bit for me, which is why I'm so glad that you're here, Ashlyn, because I feel like you provide that side that helps me to be like, oh yeah, they were under time pressure. Like I should be a little bit more understanding of why this movie's a bit of a mess. But Rena, the thing is, is that they should be organized enough ahead of time, you know, to make a good movie correctly. And I also just want to take a second to 
just acknowledge that right now there's kind of a revolution going on in the filmmaking industry and TV industry because people on set like stagehand and crew members are being really severely underpaid and have historically been forever. Mm -hmm. And it's this culture of the actors are the divas and they're getting paid like millions of dollars to act. And then the people who are actually doing all of the heavy lifting are really getting paid a pittance and being treated terribly. And so there's a big push right now to unionize those people and to pay them a living wage and it's really hurting the industry. And I think COVID has really brought a lot of this to light, as has the recent tragedy that happened on the set mm-hmm. of Rust, which was, of course, it's all over the news now. Alec Baldwin fatally shot a cinematographer on set. And that was because the stagehand who brought him that prop had not checked that the bullets were empty, were not in the chamber because he was hired sketchily without a background check and he was willing to work for basically nothing. It's just like a symptom of the disease. Mm -hmm. People who are very good at their job want to be paid more, but they're leaving the industry. And so they're getting people who are not as good as their job and who are just allowing terrible tragedies like this to happen on set because nobody wants to pay anybody living wage and it's just Mm. it's a cycle so yeah i just have to do a little shout out to people who are not on the silver screen because they're the ones who make all of this happen and this is why it's so important when you're making movies like star trek or like any movie that you have to have a good solid crew behind you and Mm -hmm. that includes the writers and directors and everybody involved and so yeah anyway that's my i'll step down off the soapbox (laughs) but just pay everybody and you'll have better content (laughs) yeah literally ashland is such important and it really changes the way that these movies are then perceived and made and everything i mean if you're not going to spend that much time on a movie then no wonder it's not going to get good box office reviews yeah exactly well and the real problem is that executives and actors and directors don't want to take a pay cut yeah you know they don't want to give their money away to anybody else yep that's Um, great (laughs) but yeah so we've got i kind of want to go back let's jump back to this wonderful camping scene oh yes please have some levity in this moment because we get finally our crew member on shore leave again. We've only seen them relax when they were in exile on Vulcan. <laughs> like that's the last time they've got to have some leisure time. And so it's really nice to see these moments of just crew bonding. And honestly, these are some of my favorite parts of Trek is when we get little pockets of people getting to see them have like fun and not always be in a crisis mode. And even if it's for a short time in this film, it's truly one of the best parts is Kirk climbing in Yosemite and getting to see Kirk, Spock, and McCoy hang out, camp together, and to see Sulu and Chekhov having a little fun time in the woods, even though they're lost. My headcanon is that they were planning this like big hike and then immediately got lost, which just cracks me up because you're literally with a navigator and you got lost. Like it is just the best dramatic irony they could have written there. And I just love the scene. I think, you know, we obviously have to talk about the scene with the marshmallows and everything, but before we do, even just with 
Sulu and Chekhov. When <laughs> Sulu comes up with this lie, Chekhov is immediately on board. Like, talk about a ride or die. <laughs> like, he's like, this lie is not gonna last, but I'll do the wind noises because Sulu already did it. So <laughs> I'm gonna go full in as well. And I just love it. Like their commitment to each other and to the bit is really funny in this. I love that too. And it shows the depth of their relationship and also just the rapport they have with Ahura too, because Mm -hmm. she's like, don't worry, boys, your secret's safe with me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, like, she could easily check the weather. Like she, she sees through their lies in a second, but it's just so good. I love it. I also love the line, we're lost, but we're making good time. And I just, I love that philosophy, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh man. And as like hikers, you know, you know how it is. Like I always get so worried about getting lost on the trail or like going off trail and losing my way. So I'm glad that they have someone to pick them up. (laughs) Especially in Yosemite too. And I also, I mean, this is an ongoing problem that we're going to find throughout the movie is that the transporters aren't working. And so I thought it was kind of weird and funny that they had to bring a shuttle all the way down to Yosemite to pick everybody up. So Um, funny. And also that Kirk did not bring his communicator on the trip, which I think is really cute, honestly. Like he's looking for some real R&R, which we have not seen this side of Kirk before. Because normally he's been like rearing to go and have an Mm -hmm. adventure. And so this maybe tells me that he's starting to slow down a little bit and starting to want to just really enjoy life and hang out with his friends, you know? Like, he he got shore leave, so damn it, he's going to get his shore leave. (laughs) Well, and I love that Kirk's form of R&R is still risking his life. Like, as much as Kirk is going to relax, he's still going to do something life-threatening and very dangerous, as McCoy says. He says, like, have you gone mad? (laughs) You know, like, why are you risking your life out here? Which I kind of agree. I feel... I, every time I rewatch this movie, I agree more and more with McCoy, and I feel more and more like him. I'm just the paranoid person in the background, like, with my binoculars, like, oh my god. <laughs> like, the whole time, he's just stressed. <laughs> Damn, irresponsible. <laughs> Playing <laughs> games with life. <laughs> Ashlyn, by far, has the best McCoy impression out of anyone I've ever met, so... <laughs> oh, don't, don't hype it up too much, but I, I, I do love McCoy. Oh my god, it's really funny to see, and that's so quintessentially Kirk. Like, he's still gonna do something very risky on his R&R, and Spock's still gonna be there to catch him when he falls. So this also, it's a one-liner, but it really cracks me up too, when Spock finally floats up to Kirk, and he (laughs) says, the record of climbing El Capitan is not in danger of being broken, and... What is funny about that is that Alex Honnold just broke the record of free soloing El Capitan in 2017, I want to say. Oh my god, wait, that's wait. so... I gotta throw in some climbing yeah, trivia. If you're not this. doing that, what, are, what am I even here What for? are we doing here? What podcast um, are we making? Yeah, I'm right about that, 2017. So he was the first person to ever completely climb El Cap without ropes or anything Whoa. in 2017. And I think when this movie was made in 89, like that feat seemed impossible. And honestly, it still seems impossible. So the yeah. fact <laughs> that like he did that is really crazy. And it just, I don't know, just as like a climbing nerd, I'm thinking about like, what else will we, like amazing things will humans have accomplished by the year like 2300, right? you know? This is something that I always love about Trek is that a lot of their stuff that they're like, this will never happen. I'm like, yeah, it's happened twice 
voice over or like it's it's a common thing now and so it's fun to see how the vision of the future changes so much just in 10 20 years yeah seriously oh and also that's not William Shatner free climbing in case you were curious (laughs) (laughs) what really could not have guessed (laughs) um I also you know so just a quick side note I'm so happy to have Rihanna and her girlfriend and my family come visit me and my husband for Christmas this is our first time hosting Christmas and we're doing Secret Santa and we're all making wish lists for each other I just decided right now I'm gonna put the go climb a rock shirt that Kirk wears on my wish list so yes anyone has me for Secret Santa please get me a go climb a rock (laughs) t-shirt That is truly the best one. Like, it's so funny. And I love that Boimler wears it in one of the most recent Lower Decks episodes. Like, it's such a fun callback. And truly phenomenal that he's, like, changing in front of this admiral (laughs) as they're getting their mission briefing. He's like, you got me on my way to the shower. (laughs) Which is so weird. And uh, so I want to take a second to talk about all the Shatnerisms in this movie. Because I think this is the movie where we're really blurring the lines between Shatner and Kirk. And... Yeah. I think it's more Shatner, honestly, than Kirk For in this sure. movie. We do see some glimpses of Kirk's greatness, but I feel like it's not really there. And yeah. some other benefits that Shatner has because he's director is he gets to insert his own interests into the movie. And so I think he wanted to make Kirk seem really badass. And so he has him climbing the wall. And I think Shatner is interested in being perceived as being awesome. And so he like has this rock climbing scene. And also you'll notice that they are riding horses once Kirk and Spock and crew are on Nimbus 3. And that's because Shatner is obsessed with horses. He has his own ranch. He rides all the time. He's a big, he's like the original horse girl. Um, (laughs) And so, of course, he has to ride horses just to show off how good he is. And you see how bad Spock is as riding? I was just going to say... (laughs) Because I used to ride horses, I didn't compete or anything, but I rode for a couple of years, and it's really funny to see Nimoy's horse just, like, losing its mind. It keeps, like, turning in circles a little bit, and he is clearly, like, not ready to be riding this horse. I feel like George Takai did pretty well on his horse, but, like, everyone else just, I mean, Chatter, of course, too, but it was just really funny to see. Cybok, I guess, Lawrence did okay on his horse, but it's just, oh, I love that. It's so funny to me. So funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yeah, so we get, like you said, some really great bonding moments. The row, row, row your boat, like this is just iconic because we're still in a space where Spock is really taking things very literally. I feel like I'm watching Data in season one of Next Gen, you know, like we're having this sort of factory reset for Spock since he came back to life. And it's really funny, you know, to see him have these questions of, I'm just trying to interpret the meaning of the words. McCoy's like, by God, man, just sing the song. But like, it's so fun, because we get the same trio dynamic, but in a space that we wouldn't otherwise. I mean, my girlfriend walks in as we're watching this, she goes, are they in the holodeck? I'm like, no, they don't even have those yet. You know, this is real deal Yosemite. And it's fun to see that. It's really cool that Spock did research on how to toast marshmallows, that he really thought about this. He gave a lot of effort into shore leave. And that's just so Spock. Yeah, I think that these types of scenes are really for the fans because we love seeing our characters kicking butt and doing what they're best at. But I think these moments where we just get to sit with them and watch them interact are so special. 
And it's one of the reasons why I love this movie so much is because of these moments. And then again, you know, they go camping again at the end of the movie. They have all these inside jokes throughout about the marshmallows and Spock's yeah. boots when they're flying around the ship. I also just want to laugh because, like, I love that first Spock came prepared with his boots. He's like, I have to bring my rocket boots on this camping <laughs> trip because Kirk is going to fall off this mountain. <laughs> like, it's almost a guarantee. Even though he's an excellent climber, he got very far up uh, before Which he fell. Which is just unbelievable. Like, Incredible. No way. <laughs> And it's also hilarious that then when they're climbing up the ship uh, to escape from all of the semi-braidwashed crew members or whatever's going on on Enterprise, and we see Spock just run off. And it's so funny because then back to Kirk and McCoy just climbing and climbing. And McCoy's like, I'm not going to make it, Jim. (laughs) He's like, I'm so tired, essentially. And then... You know, he's like, where's Spock? And that's finally when Spock comes gliding down. And so, you know, he's just like, I'm going to quickly run to my quarters, grab my little hover boots, and we'll get this problem solved. Like, I just, oh, I love everything about that. Yeah, I found myself, and I, I think on the first time I remember myself feeling this way too, that I kind of miss Spock. McCoy has that line, oh, I liked him better before he died. I think this movie is an extension, as Rihanna said, so beautifully factory reset Spock (laughs) but in Voyage Home we didn't really get to see him have these types of character moments where he's being vulnerable with his friends yeah and so I think it's even more evident that he's still trying to figure out himself but Mm -hmm. also he has the wisdom of age and he's he does have his memories and so I think he's as cute as he is preparing for all of this. He's not being hard on himself about experiencing his emotions. And so True. I think even though he is kind of like young Spock, he's more like gentle with himself, it seems like, during this. Yeah, and more accepting of McCoy's very human flaws as he, you know, and I think maybe McCoy misses those debates a little, but it's also, yeah, I feel like there is sort of not even a naivety, but just, yeah, like he's not taking himself as seriously or something. I don't know. It, it's it's cute, but it is it is different. And I like the way that Nimoy's playing him because he is keeping in mind the fact that Spock is a different person now. Yeah. And I think he does accept himself more because we see the scene when Cybok asked to heal his pain or yeah. experience <laughs> your pain or whatever. Spock is not affected by it the same way that the other crew members are because Cybok says, I know you, I know what your secret pain is. And that's that you're born half human, mm-hmm. which I mean, come on, everyone would guess everyone that, that that's yeah. Spock's <laughs> secret pain, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so I think this is a big moment for Spock because even a couple years ago, before his death, um, (laughs) I think this might have really affected him just to see, like, your father look down at you and say, like, so human. Like, doesn't say anything about, like, oh, what a beautiful baby boy. or Yeah, like just was just born and you're already judging this baby for crying. (laughs) I mean, and I know Vulcans don't have emotions, but Sarah could at least say, like, I'm glad he's healthy. Like, yeah, yeah, be thank, grateful thank or be God. like, Amanda, are you all right? You just pushed this baby out of you. <laughs> I know, oh, poor Amanda. Anyway, Sarah, talk about yeah. another like shafted moment from Amanda. Yeah. <laughs> we just get to see her giving birth. <laughs> yeah, like she doesn't even get a face really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a wild scene, and I feel like you're so right. His acceptance is very much more prevalent, and 
it is interesting though in this scene to see them sort of uncovering their pain and the fact that none of them have told each other about this. You know, I mean, Spock, that makes sense. He told no one about Cybok, so clearly he's not going to tell them about his secret pain. But McCoy is more surprising to me. And I'm wondering, Ashlyn, how you feel about McCoy keeping this from Kirk, particularly. It seems just interesting. And I know that, like, I think you understand McCoy more than I do, so maybe you have some insight. I think that it's on brand for him because he's always helping other people Mm. and I don't think he would want to take the time to try to help himself or to try to talk this through with anybody else even Kirk because in all of these movies Kirk is always the damsel in distress you know it's always Kirk going through midlife crisis and Mm -hmm. Kirk doesn't want to get old and all this stuff and we never really have an arc with McCoy And so I think this is a cool thing to throw into the movie that McCoy had this very tragic past with his dad. And it says a lot about him because Mm -hmm. he would do anything to save anyone, as we've seen over and over and over again. And he would give his life for his friends. And so to have to make this very heart-wrenching decision to pull the plug on his father and then have a cure be found two weeks later is devastating. And so I think that's just something he doesn't want to bring up. He's clearly someone who's not comfortable with his emotions and being open and honest with people i mean he's brutally honest but it's always like in a joking way you know yeah it's never mccoy saying like oh how are are you doing today len and mccoy's like oh man i'm like really having a tough day like that's not who he is you know true and so i think i'm not really surprised by it and i i mean we all have that thing where we don't want to talk about it with everyone and so even with our really close friends sometimes things are just too hard to bring up and so i understand it yeah you bring up a good point and i feel like there is too the fact that like doctors make the worst patients you know there's sort of that stereotype and McCoy in particular, he is very much a closed book. And so it always cracks me up when he gets on Spock's tail about, hey, you need to tell us more about yourself. And I'm like, really, dude? Like pot meat kettle or whatever. (laughs) And, you know, something I appreciate too about that is that McCoy does stand up for Spock in the moment when Kirk's like attacking him about why didn't you shoot Cybok, you know? And he's saying he's my brother and he's revealing all of this. And McCoy is like, my God, Jim, like, of course he couldn't, you know? He could not shoot me any more than he could shoot you. Yeah, exactly. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, he's like, you're as much of a brother to him as as Mm -hmm. he is. And so I think that it's McCoy extending that empathy and understanding that family is very difficult and important and it's cool that he says that and then later we get the scene where we learn about his father you know and so we get this understanding that McCoy has a deep connection to family and he has a deep connection to his enterprise family yeah I love that because you're right McCoy does stand up for him it drives me nuts that Kirk is so angry about Spock not shooting Cybok when they all get captured because Spock would never murder anyone if he can help it and especially his brother there's like i don't know that's dumb kirk ridiculous kirk is a little bit too like shatnery for me in that scene (laughs) oh absolutely even though it is funny with his like he sort of makes the kirk meme face (laughs) almost (laughs) (laughs) from the animated series he's just so shocked you know at first that (gasps) that spock has yeah yeah, that spock has a brother which i'm like lol (laughs) wait till you find out about michael which Which he he never never does yeah 
Anyway, <laughs> I looked into the void for a minute and I had to look away. I also saw a funny meme, I think it was on Twitter, that was like, slaps the car of the hood and it's Spock and it's like, this bad boy could fit so many secret siblings <laughs> into his background. <laughs> and I just totally agree. Wow. I'm like, which sibling are we going to find out next in Strange New Worlds? Um, but yeah, I think that Kirk is completely unfair and McCoy does sort of knock some sense into him. And that's good. And that's really what McCoy is constantly there for, is to create a perspective that maybe Kirk forgot in his rage or in his sort of preoccupation. Yeah, and I'm wondering if Kirk is maybe taking out his frustrations on Spock too in the scene. Because, I mean, first of all, his shore leave was cut short, and that's annoying. (laughs) And also... Kirk does not like to be outsmarted by someone and to be outsmarted by Cybok is really frustrating. And so I think he's mad at himself, Kirk is. And so he's kind of transferring that onto Spock in that scene, I think. You're absolutely right. And I think because like what happened on Nimbus 3 was kind of a disaster. Like they had this whole plan and none of it went according to. Yeah. Because they didn't have all the information. They didn't have the cyborg element. They didn't know what he had up his sleeve. And so they had this whole ploy, this ruse with Captain Chekhov on the screen, you know, and like that was a great scene and just it seemed like it was going to be one of those wonderful plans that just work out so well like they always do for Kirk. And so I think you're absolutely right. He's frustrated. Yes, the fan dance worked to get those people away and crawling up the hill towards the naked Uhura. And we've got that great line of her being like, I've always wanted to perform for a captive audience. And then they get shot or whatever. It's really, that's a, you know, a funny comedic moment. But it doesn't work overall for the plan because then they're just riding on horses again and then more people arrive and like Cybok has way too many followers that I think that they weren't anticipating. Yeah, and they did not expect all of them to be on his side, including the hostages, because he, yeah. he healed their pain. So now they're yeah. all in the Cybok cult. Yeah, exactly. Which is just also like weird and bizarre. I'm like this British guy is just like suddenly acting all evil. It's just, yeah, weird all around. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is also a Star Wars planet, basically, like a desert planet with with the Mos Eisley Cantina and everyone's shady and sketchy. There's a British guy who's like a villain. (laughs) (laughs) You're so right. They literally call it the dregs of the galaxy. And I'm thinking of like, you'll never find a more wretched hide of of scum scum and villainy. villainy. Yes. You know, so I feel like, yeah, they very much are just like, let's create a little bit of a rogue planet here. But yeah, nothing went according to plan. And so Kirk's mad. And luckily we have Scotty here to do a jailbreak. (laughs) Yes. Before we literally jump into Scotty as he jumps into the cell, um, Uh I want to just talk about the fan dance for a hot minute because so when Shatner was planning out all the kind of highlights for the background crew to do. You know, we have Sulu joins them on the mission and he's just awesome. Sulu's so, so amazing. Badass. Riding the horse, like shooting everyone. I've never been attracted to George Takai in my life, but watching him on these horse scenes, something awoke in me. Yeah, And I was same. like, oh my God, <laughs> Sulu is so cool right now. <laughs> he like, wow, what a movie for Sulu. He just, he Agreed. does so much compared to just like flying a helicopter, you know? Yeah. But anyway, so Shatner was planning out what all of the cast was going to do to have their kind of moment to shine. 
And Nichelle Nichols, in her youth, she actually joined, I think it was like the New York Ballet or the National Ballet. She joined a really prestigious ballet company when she was only 14, but she tried to dress older because you had to be 18 to join. And she was as good as all of the other dancers at age 14 Mm. and she was accepted. And so she's like a very, very good dancer. And she made a living before becoming an actress by performing in shows. And I mean, she was a very successful performer before she turned to acting. And so this idea that Shatner had was to kind of have her call back to her roots and and she's also a singer like we see her sing on the original series she sings Mm -hmm. in this movie yeah she's amazing she's an amazing person and so i think the idea was to have her distract these guards by doing something that she's really good at which is dancing and singing um but it's just like it's just awkward you know it's just awkward and i feel like there's a conversation to be had about how society does not want to see like older people naked or uh, displaying sexuality and i think that is that is a problem but i also just feel like the situation of the fan dance is just not great because it's like these really like gross like desert men like literally they're so thirsty they're like climbing up the banks when they see like one naked lady yeah what like it's just i just have problems with it as like a woman watching this movie as well because it makes me uncomfortable to think that that was like the best they could do for nichelle nichols you know like i feel like she had so many cooler scenes when she's saying get in the closet good boy you know like and she got to keep her clothes on you know and i just don't think they would ever ask that of any of the male actors and it just frustrates me that like that has to be her focal point but i do like that they get to accentuate her singing and her dancing that's amazing but like you could have her wear maybe a more like scantily clad dress and have her dance in a spotlight or something i don't know maybe that wouldn't attract the the desert men as much but it just irritates me to you know think that like this is what she's been sort of famous for a lot of the times you know people will hearken back to the fan dance and think of it as this sort of cringy awkward scene and i just don't ever want to think about nichelle nichols as cringy or awkward because i love her anytime i need some inspiration i just think about how cool nichelle nichols is you know and so i just i hate that this is sort of a like moment you know yeah i totally agree it's not great and i i wish she would have done something else yeah yeah it just makes me think that that was some men deciding that oh this is gonna be it was literally shatner deciding dude (laughs) yeah and it's like Shatner made the whole he wanted to be the one to kiss Michelle Nichols for the first interracial kiss like there it was supposed to be Spock you know in the original series and so there's all of these times where he's just sort of like using his power to manipulate what Uhura does as a character and I don't like it yep at all agree and another thing that gets mixed reviews in this movie is Uhura's relationship with Scotty if you can call Uh. it a relationship and yeah, maybe it's a budding romance. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So I actually surprisingly liked the scene in the beginning of the movie where Ahura brings Scotty dinner, which is like astronaut dinner. It's like in a yeah. freaking silver bag. Uh-huh. Because Scotty's too busy working on the transporter, which is literally all he does the whole movie is just mm-hmm. work his ass off to finish getting the Enterprise fixed. Yeah. Um, but I thought they had really good chemistry in that first scene. And Ahura's putting her hands on Scotty's face. And I'm actually, weirdly, 
okay with it, which I've never been any other viewings in my life. I've always been like, this is crazy. Get this away from me. But I was actually kind of okay with it in this watch through. Absolutely. It did feel more natural than I've thought in the past. And maybe it's just because now I'm watching it for a podcast. So I'm seeing it through this more analytical lens. And I'm sort of trying to understand why the writers are going this direction with Uhura and Scotty's character. But because they've had no previous chemistry in any of the movies or the show, or they've like, barely ever interacted. Yeah, I was besides, say, like, they never interacted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God, the only times are like, I've, I can think of her in the animated series, which doesn't even really count. So I don't know. I think that it seems weird, but they're such good actors that I pull it off, which is cool. Yeah, I think that the later scene where her has been like mind oh, controlled <laughs> and she's all over Scotty, that is not okay. No, that, that makes weird. me uncomfy. Yeah, and, I, and Scotty's uncomfy too because he's like, I'm in no condition to like make love on this table and neither are you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like he's being a gentleman. I don't want to do anything while you're in this state. And why, he's like, while I'm in this state. <laughs> <laughs> Like, a poor guy concusses himself on a bulkhead. Like, he's not having a good day. (laughs) Okay, so let's talk about Scotty, because he is the unsung hero of this whole movie. He is, like I said, working around the clock nonstop. And there's a great line from McCoy after they run into Scotty, and he's, like, yelling at all the engineers, and he's like, like I always say, the right tool for the right job. Um, And then McCoy's like, I've never seen him so happy. (laughs) (laughs) I love that line because at first I was thinking like, God, Scotty's so stressed. And then when McCoy says it, I'm like, oh, wait, this is Scotty's like normal amount of stress. If anything, he's having a blast. He's the (laughs) miracle worker. Yeah. Yeah. Like the ship isn't about to explode. It's just being set when it's not ready. And that's pretty normal for him. (laughs) I also love the line at the beginning of the movie when Kirk asks, how many days will it be until the ship is ready? And he's like, at least a week, sir. And then Kirk <laughs> knows Scotty, and he's like, do you mean by the end of the day? And Scotty's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did buffer time. You're yeah. right. <laughs> I mean, he's the original master. Of, he's the creator of buffer time. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> he gave himself an extra week. <laughs> of course he did. He's like, how much can I eke out of Kirk here? Yeah. Yeah, so I guess should we get into shockery? Yeah, let's do it. Let's go where no man has gone before and into the Great Barrier. So, okay. Yeah, we've never heard of this before, have we? No, this is a new thing and it's kind of cool. So, like, there's, I I guess, I don't think there is really an edge of the universe um, on the outer edge. I don't think that exists. Maybe it does. I know it's, like, infinitely expanding. We need Hank Green to tell us more. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. But, so there's this idea in Star Trek that there is the center of the universe, which... Hmm. Uh, How? Like... You guys are scientists? Well, (laughs) but I mean, like, the center is just the center, you know? And so it's interesting that this planet has, like, this shield around it. And Kirk says, no probe has ever returned and no ship has ever gotten through. And so I would have loved to see what made the Enterprise and Claw's ship so special that they got through without any problems. Yeah, I'm just trying to, like, spin ideas in my head of, like, maybe... Uh, they have better technology than when they first sent ships into the barrier. But like, what? <laughs> but I, I just don't understand. 
I, d- I don't understand it at all. And it, it reminds me of, like, the, can you get to the center of the Tootsie Pop, you know? Like, <laughs> the center. How many licks does it take? Yeah, how many licks? And I guess it just takes that right amount. I, that I one. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so something else that I just have a lot of question marks around is they just, like, bring General Cord and the Romulan and the human just with them they're like all right bring these ambassadors i guess yeah why don't they just leave them on the planet where they were already (laughs) yeah i don't get it but they have this moment where all three of them are like looking at the great barrier and they're all saying cyborgs like shakari and then the klingon says like Kori. And I'm like, don't you mean Stovagor? <laughs> so why, why did they change this? Is it like, I, again, maybe it's the fact that they wanted to forget everything about the Final Frontier and never reference it ever again. <laughs> um, that like, but Stovagor is such a huge thing in Klingon culture that I'm like, maybe this is different because the guy said Eden instead of heaven. <laughs> and so I'm like, maybe... Uh, Stovacor is different than like Kuri or whatever he said it was. I don't know, but I'm confused. Yeah, I I don't know, and I kind of wonder if they only had the ambassadors on the ship for that moment, you know? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> that was truly it. They just wanted them to be like, let's say heaven in all these different languages. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know, and I feel like Klingon culture was pretty developed at this time, but maybe not. And I also just want to remind everybody that this movie came out, so like I said, in 89, and mm-hmm. the first season of TNG, of Next Generation, was in 88. So Ooh. we've already had one season of Next Generation when this movie's out. And so I think they had some Klingon backgrounds, you know. So I, right, for Mr. Worf. Like, yeah, for Worf. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, and, like, they, at least they had the TNG theme in the beginning again, which was cool, but, like, That was what? weird. I don't know. Like, I was bopping, of course, but yeah. I was like, why? Why Literally. would they have it on? Because, of course, they had it in motion picture, and then Gene liked it so much that he used it for the Next Generation mm-hmm. theme. So maybe it was just a reminder, like, if this movie is not good, you can go and watch the TV show, which is okay, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I love that, yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I don't understand. But anyway, so they, with really no problems, like, there's no head in the clouds, figures appearing, there's no whale vision, they just get through the Great Barrier, it's all good. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, way to go, I guess, they did it. And what do they find in a Great Barrier? They find, like, Shakari has, like, a Moab, Utah background, and I'm like, okay, beautiful, but what? I did not think it would look like Earth, but of course they're low budget, so they're like, let's do whatever, and then let's get a god face going here like it morphed and i was like having flashbacks from their time travel i'm like is it gonna like change through all their faces but i remember we were watching it with ashlyn's husband danny and he was like of course the white man is last Like, Like that's the face they stick with. Exactly. Like, the yeah, the face of God in Star Trek is a white man. Like, LOL. (laughs) What? The stereotypical, like, what we often think of as God in the big man with the beard and the clouds. Like, they really just did that. I mean, he looks like Santa. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so he's 
really insistent that they like get him on this starship. He's like, I gotta get out of this barrier. That's and like the of course, Cybok is like, he says, he's like, welcome, my children. Could I borrow your ship? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, and so, of course, then Kirk asks the legendary line, what does God need with a starship? And thank you, I love that he's, he's sort of like he's in class, he's like, um, uh, uh, hang on, he's like raising his hand a little, he's like, excuse me, what does God need with a starship? And I like that literally no one else thought of that, they're just like vibing here with God, Cybok's like losing his mind, he's so excited, and, and I'm glad that Kirk is here, because he's dealt with so many fake deities in his time in his five-year mission. I mean, my god, we have met Apollo, we've met all these fake computer gods like Landru, and so... They've already um, met Lucifer. <laughs> I was just gonna say, in the episode The Magics of Megas 2... <laughs> the animated met, series. Yeah. yeah, they met Lucifer, and he was way cooler than this Satan. Yeah, like, they, he, they had a beer they drank with, him. with him. Yeah! <laughs> he saved them from, like, a little trial, and they saved him from the trial. Like, they had a great time with Lucifer, and so... I feel like that guy was way better than this guy. <laughs> because he's like zapping people. He's zapping Kirk and Spock. And I like when McCoy says, I doubt any god who inflicts pain for his own pleasure. Yeah, exactly. This is such a familiar situation for the trio. Like Rihanna said, this has happened like hundreds of times. Yeah. <laughs> and so I love that after Kirk is zapped, he's like still smoking. Like his coat is like smoking for a while, which I thought was yeah. a, like a cool effect. Literal smoking jacket. <laughs> yeah. And then after that, like Kirk's on the ground and Cybok's like, praise Jeebus. And, um, and Spock is saying like, um, my colleague had a good point. Why do you need a starship? And so I love that they just always have each other's backs. They're just still yes. pushing it, even though, ooh, they could be going up against the creator. And this is kind of risky. So, Rihanna, tell me what we find out about the creator. You know, like what his name is, his origins, where he comes from, the, the point of him. We don't. Exactly. That, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Rihanna, really? I thought there was a little fear in your eyes, but you're like, wait, <laughs> do we... <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just I would I had to draw out the silence because okay, that's yeah. what we find out yeah. <laughs> is literally nothing. Uh, we find out that he's vain and he likes zapping people and that he's probably Satan because he was imprisoned here in the Great Barrier. We don't know by who. We don't know when. We don't know anything. But all we do know is that apparently he can be destroyed by some Klingon disruptors. Yeah. And, you know, it's not even a Klingon who destroys God. It's Spock in the Klingon ship who's taken control of the weapons. It's literally the greatest revelation I've ever had to see Spock turn around from the little weapons station. And it's just like, hello, Captain. I'm like, what? Like, Spock he killed God. Which is also kind of sad because that means he inadvertently killed Cybok as well. Mm, he did the thing that Kirk was mad he didn't do earlier. Ooh, yeah. Oh, and Cybok, this is a weird death to this moment in this scene because Cybok just says, forgive me, brother. And then he like walks into God's <laughs> face and then that's it. <laughs> like what a lame way to go out. <laughs> 
I don't even know if he was sacrificing himself. I guess he got zapped, like, the ultimate zap. I, I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking, I, well, I really can't. I have no idea what really happened to Cyborg. I think he was so, I mean, this is clearly something he's been so obsessed with his whole life, is to find yeah. Shakari and find some answers to why we're here and mm-hmm. why we were created. And so I think he thought, oh, man, now that everything I thought was kind of wrong. I have to at least gather the information I can. And so maybe he just joined with God uh, to find those answers. I don't know. Maybe. I thought of it more as like his purpose in life has been wrong or like what he's believed his whole life. And so he's like, well, I need to at least atone for the fact that I like held all these people hostage and, you know, did a bunch of bad stuff. And he like atones for that. I don't know. I think you're, I think that that's probably right. It's like pointless because Scotty, God bless him. He got the transporters working, but only for two people. Oh my God. I can beam you up, but only two. It's like party of two beaming up. (laughs) And literally, of course, Kirk is like, all right, get Spock and McCoy out of here. Yeah, without hesitation. He, because that's who Kirk is. He's like, all right, save my friends and I'll stop God. (laughs) Yeah, casually. Like, if he could do his little Kirk chop on God, he would have. Well, so how this all came about, how Spock got on the Klingon ship, was that (laughs) we, of course, have the famous General Cord on board the Enterprise right now. And this is another reason why Cybok had to take him. True. Oh my god, you're right. And so Captain Claw was like, OMFG, that's like the great hero. I have to listen to him. Cord contacts Claw and Claw lets everybody on the ship. And that's how Spock gets control of the gunners and Uh destroys God and saves (laughs) Kirk. And Cord makes Claw apologize for following them and trying to kill Kirk. And it's just weird and... I think it's trying to be funny, but I didn't like it. <laughs> no, I didn't either. I think it was like, because you know how like Klingons are so entrenched in their honor shame culture that like this is a huge deal for Claw, but we as audience don't give two Fs about Claw. And so I don't care about his embarrassment, but of course it's a huge blow for him. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then it's over. <laughs> well... Oh, you're it's right. It's almost over. It's almost over. There's actually some really uh, a very romantic moment coming up. <laughs> what do you mean romantic? They're just roommates. They're just best friends oh. who like were just embracing. And then Spock says, not in front of the Klingons. Literally, Kirk is- Not what, Spock? Not what? <laughs> I think they were about to make out. And, and yeah. Kirk, Kirk, Kirk is like going towards him because Spock just saved his life. And he's like going to mm-hmm. give him a big hug and probably a smooch. And Spock's like, yeah. hang on, uh, no homo for the viewers right now because- Yeah, or the Klingons. They're not ready for us to be gay. <laughs> yeah. And we talked about how there's some very- homoerotic scenes in the motion picture but this takes the cake i mean this is spock outwardly admitting this is evidence let's smooch but later (laughs) not in front of the klingons or on screen (laughs) just read about it in your fan fiction exactly (laughs) oh it's really fantastic and bizarre because then the movie's just done and you're like cool i guess Mm mm-hmm oh i'm seeing no yeah, yeah no follow through of anything else no, they Sulu just... and Chekhov are just smiling. <laughs> yeah, and it's all good. <laughs> and they part ways. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, so, oh, well, and they do have that lovely talk. Spock does about how I just lost a brother. That sucks. And Kirk saying how I lost a brother once. And I'm thinking, George Kirk. And he says, Spock. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, Kirk That's doesn't. Right. Neither Kirk or Spock really care about their blood brothers, it seems like. That was a nice moment, though. And it's still acknowledging that we all love Spock. And he's so amazing. Oh, and Rihanna, I totally forgot. There's the best scene of all time at the very end of the movie where they go back to Yosemite and they successfully do a round of row, row, row your boat. (laughs) Uh, See, that's what I've been waiting. That's the payoff I really wanted this whole movie was the fact that Spock didn't get to sing until the end. Oh, it's amazing. And of course, I love that Spock comes prepared this time with his Vulcan lyre. He's like, I know that we need traditional singing of songs around the campfire, so I better get my instrument. (laughs) I love that. It's really cute. Leonard Nimoy has a beautiful voice. I mean, you might have heard him with... uh, Bilbo. Yep. yep. Bilbo Baggins, Uh, the greatest little hobbit of them all. I was going to say, he has a couple of really great hits, and you should check out Bilbo Baggins if you haven't already. (laughs) Also, the, the real hit, which is... Oh, bitter drink. Oh, yeah, that's a deep cut. Yeah, that's a deep cut. <laughs> From Plato's Stepchildren. Classic. Classic. Um, go look up that episode right now. Watch Spock have some beautiful singing moments. But yeah, it's fun. It's a, it's a good ending. And I am glad that they got to finish out their shore leave because that's sort of a classic also of Star Trek is that the shore leave episode starts. They're relaxing for a minute, then the chaos happens, the finale, and then they get to go back to shore leave. So it felt very much akin to that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we've talked so much about how they bring up so many cool things that could be really interesting, and then there's no payoff. And we have Mm -hmm. no idea why anything happens in the end, and it's just (laughs) over. But I think the thing that survives in this movie is how much camp there is which lol they're camping but also (laughs) like they're really just camping it up in every sense and i think that if you are okay with that and down with these funny one-liners and really interesting character moments this movie will hold up for you as it does for me i totally agree absolutely and yeah, I mean, it isn't awful. It isn't as awful as I remember. I think that's that's a huge takeaway I had from this movie watching it for the pod. Is once I look at it analytically, and like especially once we watched those parts for our family series, that helped me a lot to understand more of why they made this movie and of what they were trying to accomplish. And how it sometimes works and sometimes didn't. Yeah. I think if you just can watch this movie without being too connected to it and just kind of yeah. accepting all the weirdness, you're going to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so we are almost done with our original series movies, I'm sad to say. But yeah. I also just want to note that they were planning on this being the last movie with this original cast. And that's why mm-hmm. they called it The Final Frontier. And of course, they go oh. where no man has gone before, going to the center the lollipop Um, Uh but the reason that the sixth movie was made was because it was the 25th anniversary of Star Trek and they Mm -hmm. thought it was a good idea to have a movie come out for the 25th anniversary so that's why they got the cast back together for Undiscovered Country so that's pretty cute yeah it it works (laughs) it it works so I am very excited to watch that next week and discuss it with you Rihanna but You know, it's been beautiful to talk about Final Frontier with you, and I just feel so lucky to get to sit around and carve out two hours of my week to talk about Star Trek with you. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic, and 
once again, thank you all so much for listening to our movie series. And it's crazy. This is going to be a long series. Usually our series are about eight episodes, but now we're going to be doing 13. And so it's just really fun, honestly, to think that we're pretty much halfway through our movie series right now. So thank you all for joining us for this fantastic ride. And I am very interested to hear your thoughts on Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country next week. I can't wait! Thank you for listening to the Duras Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the sixth episode of our movie series where Ashlyn and Rihanna will watch Star Trek The Undiscovered Country. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform or social media you interact with. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, and villains. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these amazing episodes. Social media and marketing by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro and outro were written by Jerry Goldsmith. Nice. Where are the 80s? Where are, Where are the, the 80s? 80s?